Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Good Sunday evening. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin, the second hour of your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio, joined by Todd Mayfield, uh, son of music icon, legend, there aren't enough words, <laughs> Curtis Mayfield, and uh, who's written a book called uh, The Life of Curtis Mayfield, Traveling Soul. Traveling Soul. And I have to tell you, uh, Todd, I I ate this book up, uh, um, and it was so great meeting you and uh I just don't think Chicago has paid enough homage to your father and yeah. and what what he did. I think yeah, I mean he was, you know, his whole career that's kind of what people say. I mean, he was um you know, always understated as a an individual and you know, he wasn't uh part of Motown or anything like that, but we, he did his own thing, which is even more amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean that you hear that a lot that it, that he never really got his just due. Um, you know, luckily with the Academy Award, you know, with the Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, he well, he's gotten his some, national yeah. acclaim. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you tell stories out of your book, and I'm sure you've told stories, I, I tell stories to people, and they're like, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's all you know from the the, the Chicago kind of based type stories and they're like you mean that curtis mayfield and it's like yeah that curtis mayfield yeah he was like an institution you know on on his own almost you know the things that he did the the number of songs that he produced and you know the artists that he worked with um he you know he created that chicago sound you know he's one of the people who did that um and yeah i mean he he was so prolific it was it, it was kind of amazing i mean very rare it's very rare that someone has the longevity and in, in, in the um you know the success that he had well, well talk about his upbringing in chicago mm-hmm. i mean it was difficult childhood but he was also i think it's fair to say a child prodigy he was he was and um it started in my great-grandmother's church uh the reverend ab mayfield and she uh had it a, a church called the Traveling Soul Spiritualist Church, and that's I kind of figured hence, that's where the title, the title from the book, yes. right? And so, you know, that's where he first got his start in terms of singing and and figuring out that he should own, you know, as much of himself as possible. Because my great grandmother was, you know, had this church and was her own boss, and you know was able to do well and actually had food and and, and residence, you know, and, and right. things like that. So, um, you know, his upbringing was so rough and so poor um, that those were things that he gravitated to, like the success that she had. I think that's that was a huge part of his life. Well, and, and also singing as a youth and yes. becoming involved in the, the church gospel and the fact that that this was a, an acclaimed music organization that gave him a kind of taste of other sounds of other of other voices if you will in, in kind of that that gospel kind of music trail yeah and that's you know that's where he met jerry butler and that's where um jerry um 
basically convinced him to leave his, you know, Jerry was a couple of years older than my dad. So he was able to convince my father to leave his little boy group and get, you know, with the big boys, you know, the big teenagers uh, in Seward Park and, and, um, and join the impressions and that so that's kind of where that whole thing came from it but it, it definitely came from the church so i mean he he moved around a lot in the city yeah and and one of the interesting stories in the book is uh moving to cabrini green right that was a, a godsend and you know what people think of cabrini green and mm-hmm. to to view it in those eyes of what you know brand new what i mean that was a life changer it was brand new um bathroom internal plumbing you know you didn't have to go down the hall and and share the bathroom with everybody on the floor it was it was amazing it was it was one of the best things that that happened to them at that and of time. course people think of cabrini green from latter years but then it wasn't gangs it was doo-wop groups yeah i was i was part. i was just fascinated by that that was mm-hmm. the turf yeah, was you're on somebody's turf if you were on a different doo-wop group. You go to Sewer Park and and see how many people you get a room, you know, and you do your thing in there and see how many people are hanging outside your your door as opposed to the the next group, and that's how you you know you started getting your popularity and your 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 fan base and everybody looking for the right echoes, the, the rhythm and the and the right Absolutely. acoustics, and and they become celebrities within yeah. within cabrini green yeah and so there is life uh, a, a new life that that exists out of this yeah i mean i and i think um at that time period in chicago you know whether it was in cabrini green or whether it's down you know in bronzeville or you know that's you know there were there were guys on the corner singing doo-wop you know they're competing that's what they that's that, that's what they competed on back then and, and and that's how they you know a lot of um talent came to to you know to um have success out of chicago we're speaking with todd mayfield he's the son of uh, music icon and legend curtis mayfield about his book traveling soul and we're going to talk more about what his influence was in the struggle for civil rights that's up ahead you're listening to the sunday spin this is the sunday spin on 720 wgn once again here's rick pearson of the chicago tribune welcome back to your sunday spin i'm rick pearson of the chicago tribune we're in the wgn skyline studios i'm here with todd mayfield uh, the author of traveling soul the life of curtis mayfield his father uh i try to do this special black history month show every february um and as i said you know reading this book and and um never having really appreciated what he meant to chicago and that the nation probably appreciated him more than than the city did but i want to talk to you about uh his role in, in the civil rights movement and i found it very interesting that 1968 uh, the year that Dr. King was assassinated, that RFK was assassinated. Right. That's also the year he's becoming a record executive. Right. And, and moving into the business world beyond the litany of music and singing and traveling, that he's now becoming a record producer. Right. Well, he was already already a producer, well, but um, but he, he his, own, his label. own label. Right. Um, he started his own publishing company, which was huge back um, in 1961. Um, 
to own this, you know, the songs that he was writing, but he was on ABC Paramount. Right. Um, and at that time they had a lot of success with them and, but he, you know, and they were offered a, a really lucrative deal to stay with ABC Paramount, but he decided that he wanted to start his own label. He was a control figure. He was. I mean, that's that, and you write about that in, mm-hmm. in the book. But you have these turbulent times of, of 1968, and it's about message music. And, and that he, very confident, very self-confident, uh, had no hesitation about wanting to make music that told a message right. from indignities suffered by African-Americans in the early 60s uh, to, quite frankly, you know, people think of your father, they think of Superfly. And I don't think they really realize that the soundtrack for Superfly was kind of antithetical to what the movie was because the movie was a black exploitation film. Right. But the music was to not glorify these street figures in the way that the cinema did right well i mean one of his you know he had many like sayings that he would just like repeat over and over again and and one of those things was um you know he didn't feel like he wanted to preach to people but he wanted to give them food for thought um and that was one of his things like that was like really where he was coming from he wanted to Put something on well, I realized there, and, and there were a couple and, of interviews yeah. where people mm-hmm. were kind of tr- almost egging him on to be, you know, why aren't you more outspoken? And it's like, I let the music tell the story. Right. And then let, let the person who consumes it think about what he was talking about. You know, think about the message that he's sending in contrast, even like you said, to Superfly, which is, you know, a lot of people thought was a, a cocaine commercial. When it, you know, right. and a lot of people criticized it, but so the music, like you mentioned, was a counter to that, and it would give, you know, it was it talked about these people. I mean, how many people think, how many how many people do you know think Freddie's? I mean, you know, but like of, of my generation, right. think Freddie's dead and know what that song's about, right? I mean, they're just they're bopping just along to, to it, it. but right. then you know, but then the lyrics, if you think about it, yep. then this is like, wow, he's really saying something about this character. You know, he was he was like you know giving life to the various characters in the film through through the music and and not you know, no, and not in a glorifying way right not one dimensional it was like you know he, he he made you like you know someone someone who looked like they was a, a drug dealer but he he made you kind of empathize with them and in, in that the struggle and that they're what got him to that stage be, and that and, and that they're trying to be something better than that and and that's what really what the what the film was about at the end well and and you know even in his message music and he received some criticism for this i think but he was trying to find an optimistic outcome right and as i said he he got some criticism because he was not necessarily as harsh at the like the war in vietnam was such a big thing Mm -hmm. um but he there was a message and it's again it's how you take how do you take that message how do you deal with that message yeah i mean like i said food for thought he lets the people consume it and then figure out how they feel about it you know and um you know everything's not just always simplistic you know things can be complex you know people who find themselves doing things that they feel they have to do you know not that they want to do 
And I think that was part of it. If your father were still alive today, um, how do you think he would view this America right now? That's, you know, that's a tough question. I mean, he's always, he was always just someone who, you know, consumes news and consume, you know, what's happening is very observant. Um, and I think he probably, you know, one of the things he he always said was like, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And I don't think that would be too far off to say that he would feel that way now. It sounds like an album. In yeah. a way, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, no, but I, I, I mean, these are very, you know, there was those very traumatic times in the '60s, absolutely. But we're in a different kind of uh, traumatic times here of, yeah. of division. And as I said, you know, you listen to those harmonies and some of that music. Uh, it's 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 joining together. I mean, it's out of the gospel spirit of, of right. people joining together. And uh, one other story that I loved here was about his first guitar. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, obviously played a guitar like nobody else and, and didn't strum. He was he was flicking. Right. And about I think you wrote that the guitar was the great love of his life. Yeah. And that was really one of the toughest things about uh you know his life after his accident that uh he wasn't able to you know create and and be a partner with uh with his guitar and and the piano keyboards but mostly the guitar that's how he wrote self-taught mm-hmm. um which that's why i mean is about being a music uh prodigy is all self-taught yeah and uh, I mean, he always knew what he wanted to do. I get that sense in here. Is Absolutely. that he just found that place for him, and he wanted to bring people with him. Yeah. I mean, another thing he would say, he'd say he found himself at a very young age, meaning that he knew that's what he wanted to do, like when he was a little kid, and that's what he did. And you know, ninth grade dropout from Wells. Right, high school. Um, wanted to, wanted to drop out earlier. Wanted to drop out in yeah. sixth grade, basically, but couldn't. Probably. No, no. <laughs> you know, and so that's just what it was. His only other job was selling uh, Dunhill cigars, door you know, door to door downtown. That didn't work out very well or last very long. And that's the only thing that he did, other than music. I, going back to starting his own label. I mean, you know, when you think of Motown and Barry Gordy, you know, that was a that's a pretty significant step to kind of challenge what was then the kind of a black music establishment. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, he felt there was room. His his real idol was was Sam Cooke. Mm-hmm. Sam Cooke was the uh, you know, and, and obviously Barry Gordy too. But Barry Gordy wasn't a musician, right, so to speak. But um, so Sam Cooke was who he you know who he most wanted to be like and 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 when he saw that he started his label even though he wasn't on it as an artist himself but um that's you know that's what i felt he emulated well when i saw you know with the start of the start of his label and Mm -hmm. then he's basically doing all the work everything including the music yeah yeah and i mean that had to be a tremendous toll and it wasn't until i forget the gentleman that he hired they hadn't even been collecting royalties 
on, yeah. on the music. A lot of that. I mean, he, yeah, he was just, he was a one man machine. I mean, he wrote, produced, was an artist himself, producing other folks and r- running a label. So yeah, it was it was a lot. It's uh, I mean, it, to me, it's just a fascinating story, and and I don't know what to do about getting Chicago to recognize. You know, he's revered uh, in the civil rights movement, in the music industry. Uh, you know, watching that uh, when he got the Legends Award, mm-hmm. and the performers range from you know Bonnie Raitt, uh, you know who Bruce you, Bruce Springsteen, yeah, Phil Collins, Aretha, and I have to admit, on and on. I have to admit, in reading the book. I didn't realize some of the songs that I listened to that were covered by others mm-hmm. were your dad's work. Rod Stewart, Jeff Beck. I, I mean, Gypsy Woman. Yeah. You know, it, it, uh, Tony Orlando and Dawn. Of all, you know. It, that's it, why he owned his publishing. He, well, he, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But he also wanted to make sure that the family was taken care of when, yeah. when that tragic accident happened absolutely um and i i think that was one of his first words to you were handle the finances um it's it's a remarkable life and Mm -hmm. and to think of an accident like that and and certainly you know he had he'd fallen off the scene a little bit during disco wasn't his thing that kind of thing but even as paralyzed by that accident still recorded his own album that's that says something that's crazy todd mayfield uh author of traveling soul the life of curtis mayfield thank you so much for joining me here today to talk about your father and we're going to post a link to the book on on, uh, our website Uh, thanks again for being with us thanks for having me rick we'll be back with more right after this